Today on The Exam Room. It was a headline from a Vox article that said, you're probably eating too much protein. So by and large, I mean, are we really eating more than we need? The answer undoubtedly is yes. I mean, there's statistics. Uh, We don't have to guess at certain things. You know, nutrition science is always tough. Nutrition science gets beat up because there's so many what we call epidemiology studies and relatively few randomized studies, of course, very honestly. But when you come to protein needs and protein intake and protein deficiency, there's all kinds of data. And there's got to be something to fight about. How much protein? What kind of protein? Is America getting unhealthy because it's a protein deficient society? And it's misinformation. I mean, that's a word that, you know, we throw around, but it is misinformation. We got good science. America is not protein deficient. America is fiber deficient. And nearly nobody in America that's actually measured to be protein deficient. And it's estimated that only about 7% of Americans get enough fiber. So let's break some of this stuff down. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I'm the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll, raising health IQs coast to coast and around the world in great cities like Grand Rapids, Michigan, Baltimore, Maryland, and Belgrade, Serbia. Wherever you are, we appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 19 of season 7, number 518 overall. And today's question is this. Are you eating too much protein? We live in a protein-obsessed nation, and today we are actually feeding that obsession, but we're doing it from a scientific and a factual standpoint so that we can get a clear answer to that question. Are you overdoing it in the protein department? And the man who is going to answer that question for us is America's Healthy Heart Doc. He is a cardiologist. He is a friend of the show and a friend of mine. He is Dr. Joel Kahn. And if you really love science and you love research and you love studies, you are going to love today's episode because it is dripping with nutrition nerdum because we're going to be getting into whether all proteins are created equally and whether a high amount of plant protein carries the same risk as an ultra amount of protein from steak or chicken and how much influence the meat, the dairy, the egg industries have on the guidelines that are put out for protein consumption and whether protein, a lot of it, can cause arrhythmias and cardiac issues plus protein and bone health, protein and longevity, and who may need a little more protein in their life, plus complete proteins and chronic diseases and a ton more on this protein free for all. So let's get rolling. Dr. Joel Kahn joins us now on The Exam Room. Thanks for being here again, my friend. Nothing more exciting than joining Chuck Carroll and the amazing PCRM group. And that's true. Physicians Committee Rock. (laughs) So do you, man. This is long overdue. I'm so glad that you're back on the show. And when I saw you post this recently on your Instagram, I was like, man, that is a really good question. Are you eating too much protein? Matter of fact, it wasn't even a question. It was a headline from a Vox article that said, you're probably eating too much protein. So by and large, I mean, are we really eating more than we need? 
The answer undoubtedly is yes. I mean, there's statistics. Uh, we don't have to guess at certain things. You know, nutrition science is always tough. Uh, nutrition science gets beat up uh, because there's so many what we call epidemiology studies and relatively few randomized studies, of course, very honestly. You know, there actually are randomized studies that your group and others have done, but they're relatively limited. And we just got to make observations. But when you come to protein needs, and protein intake and protein deficiency. There's all kinds of data. And there's this, there's got to be something to fight about because nutrition's always a war. And right now, I think the biggest fight, it's always going to be saturated fat. Nobody's given up on it. We've got carnivore month where people are eating these insane saturated fat diets. We've got what I called carnivore month or veganuary or lower saturated fat diets, eating whole food plants, that argument will continue for eternity. But the hottest one right now is the one you brought up. It's how much protein, what kind of protein, um, are we missing the boat? Is America getting unhealthy because it's a protein deficient society? And it's actually uh, you know, a hot topic right now, including some medical and PhD medical people, but it's Misinformation. I mean, that's a word that, you know, we throw around, but it is misinformation. We got good science. America is not protein deficient. America is fiber deficient. And that was made very clearly in that same Vox online article, because uh, that's the statistics. There's like nearly nobody in America that's actually measured to be protein deficient. And it's estimated that only about 7% of Americans get enough fiber. So let's break some of this stuff down. Yeah, let's talk about it. Number one, I think that a lot of people who are listening to this probably agree with you, a little bit of preaching to the choir here. But nonetheless, I want to pose the question to you, like, what research do we have right now that can point out some of the specific detrimental side effects of having an overabundance of protein? Like, what are the more common ones? Is it cancer? Is it heart disease? Where is that risk highest? When I want to know about a nutrition topic, if I can find research by Walter Longo, and some people know that name, it's a funny first name, it's not Walter, it's Walter, V-A-L-T-E-R, Longo, L-O-N-G-O, head of the Biogerontology Research Unit at University of Southern California. Um, you know, he's published on this topic. And many people feel he's the leading scientist. He is the most funded scientist in the United States on the topic of nutrition. Um, and he's also vegan 19 meals a week. He does eat fish two times a week. So we can call him on our team largely. He's certainly not on the carnivore team. And like, for example, back in 2014, he published a paper called, and listen, Low protein intake is associated with a major reduction in cancer in overall mortality in people 65 and younger. So, I mean, he didn't pull this. He never is the kind of scientist, Dr. Walter Longo, PhD, to pull anything out of his hat without good data. Um, and there's basically a pathway. He's big, as we all should be big, in knowing about something called nutrient sensing pathways. And we have ways in our body that if we up our protein intake, we identify at the cellular level in our prostate, in our breast, in our colon, in our pancreas, these scary places that like to make cancer. 
we sense that we're intaking more of these amino acids, and particularly the structure of amino acids that come from animal products, which often have a lot of uh, amino acid. Again, amino acids are the little building blocks that build up into peptides, that build up into proteins. And when you're eating a bean burger or a beef burger, uh, you're eating protein and fats and some carbohydrates that get broken down and you'll get amino acids. So the amino acid methionine and the amino acid leucine particularly have been associated with aging, dementia, accelerated disease, uh, early mortality. Uh, and that's coming from animal sources. But they looked at um, about 6,400 Americans in the database, and they do how many calories they ate and what breakdown was from carbohydrates, fat, and protein, and what breakdown there was from animal proteins and the legumes, our favorite, bean, uh, favorite plant proteins. And we know this nutrient-sensing pathway that certainly animal protein sources like beef and chicken and turkey um, um, and fish, they will trigger the increase of a pathway that results in a hormone called IGF-1, insulin-like growth factor 1. And that was part of this 2014 uh, study. And in fact, the official title of that study was low protein intake is associated with a major reduction in insulin-like growth factor one. If you've got a little spot of prostate cancer, breast cancer, colon cancer, pancreatic cancer, insulin-like growth factor may stimulate more growth of that little cancer and may stimulate it to a higher level. So they looked, just as one example, in these 6,400 Americans, and they found that the low-protein group had a much higher uh, freedom, uh, a much lower risk of cancers and actually had a better survival than the high cancer group. And there was a little bias that that was mainly true in people under age 65 because you start to get a little frail and a little called sarcopenic and might focus a little bit more on protein from age 65 and up. But there was, this wasn't subtle. There was a big increase in uh, cancer risk and a big drop in overall chance of dying in these high protein and particularly high animal protein group, they actually were able to sort um, uh, the, the plant protein group and these observations weren't seen in the plant protein group. So it's something unique uh, and warning, warning about high animal protein diets. But what's everybody hearing at the gym? You know, you want to be strong, you better add more chicken breast and add more beef and add more turkey. And even I'll give a shout out, and I hate to do this, but I will. I was reading a book, um, Younger Forever, I think is the title, by uh, Dr. Mark Hyman. He's a friend. I like Dr. Mark Hyman. He just got married. I wish him well and all, but in his book, I was a year old, I was reading it last year, I like to read these books and see what people are saying. It talked about the importance of keeping your muscle mass because you don't want to become frail and you don't want the wind to blow you over and break a leg. That's never a good thing at any age and it's definitely not a good thing at an older age. And he said, if you want to build muscle, you have to eat muscle. And I'm pretty sure he wasn't talking about you know lentils. And you know when you read that from... A, a number of medical people all over, 
you say, where is their science? Where is their data? And that's, again, why I turn whenever I can uh, to Dr. Longo's research. He, he, and just to finish, I know I'm long-winded, but I'm so passionate about this topic. There is another study by the same research group, not in 2014, but a year or two later by Dr. Longo, where they also looked beyond cancer at diabetes risk and overall heart health risk. And there was the same observation, these higher-than-needed protein diets and the way you know, 98% of Americans are doing it is, of course, chicken and beef and turkey and fish. Uh, we're associated with all those other diseases we just mentioned. And um, it's just, again, I, I hate using the word misinformation, but it's medical misinformation that's not consistent with the science. So we can talk about what our government you know, recommends and what level of protein they teach people about. But essentially... America exceeds it greatly, men and women, and honestly, every region and country around the world exceeds it. Uh, if you get enough calories, you got enough protein. And um, unless you're on some very bizarre diet, you got enough protein. Specifically, just to give you an example, I wish the average American male weighed about 160 or 170, but the reality is the average American male weighs about 200 to 220. And the recommended Protein intake by Dr. Walter Longo is 60 to 70 grams a day. That happens to be exactly consistent with also uh, USDA guidelines. Um, and if you started to measure and started to count, um, you know, many people are getting way in excess of 100 grams of protein a day from animal sources. And a lot of people are exceeding 150 to 200 grams a day. And some are doing it on purpose. Following that dictum, if you want to build muscle, you have to eat muscle. So I guess if you want to build a lot of muscle, you're going to eat a lot of muscle. And it isn't borne out by the science. And um, Dr. Longo would recommend for a woman weighing about 130 pounds, more about 40 to 45 grams of protein a day. But there's a lot of women that weigh a lot more than 130 pounds in America nowadays, just the way, uh, are, although you're supposed to judge that a bit by lean muscle mass. And uh, all. that's where the science comes from. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to throw that all out there. Yeah, I'm curious, um, when he mentioned specifically a low-protein diet, was that that 60 to 70 grams, or for women that little bit less, or were they talking about something even further down, maybe like 30 grams a day? Do you recall? Yeah, so again, I, I paid some homage here to uh, Dr. Longo, and I just want to come back and give one more shout-out there. And we also got to pay homage, of course, to our beloved Garth Davis, MD, uh, the handsomest vegan doctor out there for sure, hunky-hunky, and uh, a bariatric <laughs> surgeon in Houston. And I say that, he's a wonderful guy. And I read his book, Proteinaholic, a book I'd recommend to anybody when it came out, I think around 2018. And I actually reread it last month. Um, and I got attacked by the meat eaters. What do you guys read each other's books every few years and promote them just for mutual profit? <laughs> <laughs> No, I actually read it because it's a very good book. Um, and some people will recommend more than that 40 to 50 grams of protein a day with that very important distinction between animal protein and plant protein. And again, it's a little sciencey, but specifically a couple 
specific amino acids called methionin and leucine that particularly trigger, again, I use the word nutrient-sensing pathways, they particularly trigger releasing high levels of IGF-1, a hormone, insulinic growth factor 1, which you can get as a blood test if you want to get as a blood test. And uh, that may be a little bit problematic. So I was looking for one other article, and I hate to be sciencey, but, you know, BCRM is all about good science. But Dr. Longo was involved with a publication in 2016 in JAMA Internal Medicine. Title, Animal and Plant Protein Intake and All Causes of Death and Specific Causes of Death Results from Two U.S. Prospective Cohort Studies. So Dr. Longo was an author. The first author was Dr. Song. And some people know the name Walter Willett, MD, uh, head of Harvard School of Public Health, very famous doctor. And really quickly, this was 85,000 women, 46,000 men in Harvard databases, where every four years they ask thousands of questions about their diet. On average, 14% of what they ate was animal protein, 4% of what they ate was plant protein, and they found this very strong relationship between more animal protein and all causes of death and cardiac causes of death particularly. And it wasn't true for plant protein. Um, people that ate more plant protein um, did fine. People that ate more um, animal protein were at risk. And they calculated, even if you take a little bit of your meat and your eggs and you shift it over to lentils and peas, you actually could predict through a model, it wasn't a randomized study, that you could dramatically drop your risk for some of these diseases. So, you know, um, we don't need such high amounts of protein. We certainly don't need to source it from animals. And we're not talking about right now about the environment. We're not talking about, uh, you know, the um, cruelty that's in 90, you know, almost all animal food production and certainly the factory farming food production. And it's just science, but we'll talk about what's that voice out there besides the one anti-aging book I quoted about you want to build muscle, you got to eat muscle. Uh, there is this pressure that is very popular, and I can tell from my patients in my clinic, I see people bringing it up to me, but what about, so we can go down that path, but I got to take a breath and give you a chance to talk. Yeah. yeah, I'm just curious, like if we look at the high end, I, I want to stick on this plant protein study. If we look on the high end of that, what does your gut tell you, say, if somebody was really in the gym all the time and wants to look like one of those, you know, Mr. Olympia contestants, and they're eating 200 grams of plant protein a day? Is it like your gut feeling, your estimation that that person wouldn't face the same type of health adversity as somebody that was getting those 200 grams from animal sources? Or is it feasible to think that that could present a separate set of challenges just because of the volume of protein that we're talking about? Yeah. Um, you know, there's examples, of course. We've got our uh, wonderful example in Nimai Delgado, handsome guy that just showed up in the Netflix smash hit, You Are What You Eat. We all saw him there. Uh, our mutual friend, Robert Cheek, who wrote that great book with Matt Frazier about plant-based athletes. And they are pounding, you know, more than 50 to 60 grams of plant protein because they're fully plant-based. You know, there aren't that many studies to say the way they're doing it and the way the average gold gym weightlifter is doing it will result in a substantial difference in cancer risk, diabetes risk, heart disease risk down the road. 
but there's every reason to believe that um, they are healthier and will have a better outcome down the road. It just hasn't been studied in that way. There have been in the last six months, uh, I'd say, I did this on my podcast. I'm not sure I can find it immediately. I'd say five or six randomized studies, not perfect science. We took 30 people that were not well-trained in the gym. We randomized them over eight or 12 weeks to a high-protein plant or high-protein animal diet. I remember some of the plants that were used were fava beans. Some were plant powders. Some were legumes. And when they looked eight to 12 weeks later at gain in muscle mass, lean muscle mass, there was no substantial difference. And uh, there was no reason to say, it's got to be chicken and it's got to be tilapia. I mean, the other food that everybody seems to gravitate to for uh, no substantial reason. So, yeah, I think they're doing it right. And there's no doubt if you're lifting to really build, you know, major muscle increase like the two plant-based bodybuilders I mentioned, and there's many others, um, uh, just they're not all coming to me. Um, it's undoubtedly going to be a better idea to do it with plants. Now, a big distinction, again, I hate to be going back, but bringing up Dr. Longo again, Dr. Longo wrote a tremendous book, in my opinion, published a couple of years ago called The Longevity Diet. And it is, again, largely plant-based. Uh, he does uh, teach the option of fish a couple times a week. I don't do that, but he teaches it. Um, and he'll tell you, you can eat for longevity or you can eat to be on the cover of Muscle and Fitness magazine. Now, Nimai Delgado and uh, Robert Cheek do both. They eat for longevity and they eat for being on the cover of Muscle and Fitness. At least Nimai has actually been there. And I hope Robert gets there. Um, but Dr. Longo said, you know, there's a dietary pattern for longevity to lower the risk of heart disease, diabetes, dementia, uh, cancer. And there's a diet for looking good in a tank top. Um, and they're not necessarily the same. And if you're going to strive for the tank top look, you probably want to learn how to do it plant-based. So, you know, you and I are probably, and I would think Dr. Bernard are here for the long run for health and reducing chronic disease. And maybe we have big biceps, maybe we don't. The common theme for big biceps seems to be doing the hard work in the gym and lifting the heavy weights uh, and uh, all the rest. So, you know, that's the common denominator. And whether you feed that through plant foods and protein or feed that through animal foods and protein, you can get there if you do the hard gym work. We just think you're going to do it healthier if you do it with plants. Yeah, and the idea of whether or not somebody has the gumption to put in that work at the gym, that's a completely different conversation than the one that we're having today. Uh, and let me ask you this. Um, when it comes specific, I want to tap into your expertise as a cardiologist here. You know, what do we know in terms of a person's protein consumption and their risk for developing adverse cardiovascular events like arrhythmias or perhaps things that are even more sinister than that? Does the risk increase based upon the amount of protein that they're eating? And subsequently, even if that answer is yes, could I surmise that it also depends on the source of said protein? And again, I'll shout out to another great in the field of plant-based nutrition, in my opinion, Juliana Hever, the plant-based dietitian, where she will stress the point, you know, 
we don't eat macronutrients. We, you know, even though you go to Chipotle and then what's your protein you're going to have? And that's a Frida bowl. You know, it's not protein. It's a piece of chicken that has fats, sometimes more fat than protein, uh, depending on how it was raised. It uh, has, you know, not much carbohydrate. It's got salt and other things in it. So we get, uh, you know, there's, there's essentially no pure source of protein. I, I think even protein powders have some range of macronutrients. So the problem and the point I bring that up is you're in the gym and you're lifting weights and you want to keep up with your trainer and he tells you to up your protein to 150 grams a day. So you start eating more chicken and more tilapia and you're going to get more saturated fat. And if you're not buying super high quality sources, you're going to get more um, you know, uh, herbicides, pesticides, the bioaccumulation, the PCBs, the DDTs, and the heavy metals like mercury that come with all these foods and are clearly less abundant in plant-based foods. They may not be perfect, but they're less abundant, more uh, glyphosate uh, and concern. And so when you ask your question, um, there, there is very little data about nutrition and arrhythmia. There actually is some data that very high dose fish oil supplements, particularly prescription fish oil supplements, may trigger atrial fibrillation. That is published data. Little less so for just store-bought fish oil. No data I'm aware of for algae-based vegan uh, omega-3 supplements. And certainly no data for getting your omega-3 from ground flax eater, chia, or hemp, or walnut, where I get my omega-3 from. And when you talk about you know other more serious arrhythmias, Many arrhythmias are because of underlying heart pathology, whether it be hypertension from a salt-heavy diet, and just go look. I literally was running my dog this morning in the neighborhood, running, jogging, exercise for both of us, and one of the neighbors was throwing out a big box of chicken legs. I just happened to notice it was sitting, hanging out. And what did it say right on it? I couldn't help but notice. Salt-injected chicken legs, 10% salt, which I couldn't believe they put it on the box, but we all know in the chicken industry that's fairly common. So that chicken could lead to high blood pressure that could over time lead to arrhythmia. That's an indirect pathway, but could happen. The other underlying pathology of arrhythmia, um, uh, serious arrhythmia, is of course clogged arteries, coronary artery disease, a prior heart attack, congestive heart failure. And again, you're getting your protein from tilapia and chicken and beef. You're doing carnivore month with Joe Rogan. And I had a patient today in my clinic no lie, all the engineers bring Excel spreadsheets for the past 24 years of their life. And I looked at his LDL cholesterol, like 98, 98, 98, 235. If your LDL is 235, that's all he tracked. Your cholesterol probably shot up to over 400. I said, what happened in August or October 2023? Because it's not back then. He goes, I did carnivore for two months. I said, oh, you're another carnivore that, you know, destroyed your cholesterol panel. And he's he was with heart disease, not a pristine patient. So that indirect pathway, again, protein-heavy diets that are really saturated fat-heavy diets that are really pro-heart disease-heavy diets could lead to arrhythmia. Um, one final comment. Plants, nuts, seeds, greens are very rich in magnesium, and magnesium favors the absence of arrhythmias like single skips and repetitive skips and fibrillation. So we know for sure that plant-based diets are very rich in magnesium and less so would be, you know, animal-based diets that are focused on protein. 
Is it possible for a person, I mean, two months doesn't seem like an inordinately long amount of time. Um, for, so to speak, is it possible for somebody to unring that bell, undo the damage, even if it is a pretty hardcore two months that they're really kind of raking uh, or wreaking havoc on their health? Well, the labs will return to normal super quick. Uh, you know, and it goes both ways. You change your diet for the better. You do the um, two months of you are what you eat that we watched on Netflix. And we saw some examples of labs improving and other measurements improving. And I've read a follow-up article. None of those people featured in you are what you eat have stayed vegan. Um, they've improved their diet and they're eating less red meat. So that I would predict their labs will reflect back towards their baseline. And the same thing when you drive your labs crazy by doing carnivore month for a couple months and you give it up, it'll come back down to whatever level you were at before, optimal or suboptimal. Now, it is possible you could trigger harm that isn't reversible, uh, you know, that you could trigger more plaque in your arteries, soft plaque, non-calcified plaque within two months. I mean, you're turning your blood into mayonnaise. Uh, and it's interacting with your 60,000 miles of arteries in your body and your super special endothelium. So, yeah, it could be that there's, you know, a long-term uh, uh, damage from a short-term dietary indiscretion. And I'm thinking for a minute because there's a great uh, Jimmy Buffett song, and I like to always call out our heroes that have passed away, Jimmy Buffett, here am I. It's like a permanent problem from a temporary solution. I think it's the name of the song. I think it's about <laughs> impregnating somebody on a wild and crazy night. That's a permanent problem to a temporary solution. <laughs> but it could be that your dietary indiscretion uh, would also fit a Jimmy Buffett song. Oh, I didn't know that you were a parrot head. That's pretty cool. Kind of oh, clashes. I mean, but as a cardiologist, did you ever feel conflicted when you would chant salt, salt, oh, salt? Yeah, cheeseburger in paradise. Uh huh. Thins to the left. Um, you know, everybody can enjoy it's five o'clock somewhere uh, and know that there are vegan options. I went, I, I'm spending the winters now in Florida and I go to these marina side bars and might have a glass of water, uh, might have a glass of wine. And there's not one thing you can eat. I mean, there's literally a 22 page menu. There's not one thing I can eat. So it does help with your weight control when you actually stick to your plant-based <laughs> I mean, I don't even want to. I'll take a cheeseburger, but just bring me the lettuce. I mean, maybe that would work. Take a cheeseburger, hold the meat, hold the cheese, just bring me the lettuce. We'll call it good. Maybe the tomato too. I don't know. Um, and question for you, uh, Florida, a lot of people snowbird down there, and I'm not exactly putting you in that age category, but somebody did pose the question to me recently that I didn't quite have an answer to. Maybe you can help out with this, is, you know, can somebody who's eating an excessively high protein diet um, have issues long-term with their bone health and their bone density? Does that cause frailty at all? Do we have any science on that? Well, I, I think the argument would be with an animal-based high-protein diet, you uh, could tend to acidify the body. Now, that's not an easy thing to measure. There is a blood test. If you poke into your artery called the arterial blood gas, you can measure your pH. You can also wake up every morning. You can go to the drugstore and buy those little test strips for your urine. And you can literally, first thing in the morning, pee in a cup, dip your urine, and it'll show you your pH. And, you know, 7.4 is the breakdown of normal pH Higher than that is called alkaline or alkalotic. Lower than that is acid or acidotic. 
And you'd rather that morning pH be a little alkaline. In fact, there's a wonderful book that's often free online, a, a pretty long PDF called The Alkaline Way by Dr. Russell Jaffe, MD, PhD, J-A-F-F-E. And he makes the case about these morning urine alkaline tests. And uh, the meat-heavy protein diet would clearly tend to shift that towards the acid side. And how do you buffer the acid? You got to go to your bones and get the calcium out of your bones and create like calcium bicarbonate to uh, buffer it. So there is pretty clear data that that very high uh, meat protein, animal protein, chicken protein, fish protein diet doesn't favor good long-term bone health. But we got to do our weight-bearing exercise, avoid obesity, and maybe supplement judiciously with vitamin D and vitamin K2 or eat natto beans like I eat, even though they're the grossest gooey things on the planet. But uh, you could mix them with a little mustard and make it tolerable. Let's see here. Uh, we're covering a lot of ground today. I feel like we're kind of bouncing around. It's one of those types of shows. Uh, you feel like poking the bear. I feel like poking the bear right now. You want to poke the bear? Have some fun. What's the bear? I have no uh, no borders for speaking with you, so go for it. You're a good man. I like that. Uh, so here's my question to you. A little bit earlier, you were talking about the government recommendations for protein. And uh, what we do know is that the government nutrition recommendations uh, are heavily influenced by outside industry. And I'm curious, how much might the meat, uh, dairy, the egg industries have influenced what our government recommendations are, those RDAs in terms of protein consumption? Yeah, I, and I don't think there's any doubt that enormously, I mean, you know, yes, there are some uh, lobbies that represent, you know, the broccoli goers, there really are, and and the rest, but they're, you know, they pale in comparison to the dollars that are available to wine and dine politicians you know, official lobbyists for the ag lobby and the dairy lobby and the meat lobby. And of course, they've been, you know, suffering to some extent. It's not like the world's gone vegan, but uh, there has been a bit of an awareness that wasn't present 20, 30 years ago. So uh, without a doubt, I mean, the classic example is, and I think uh, Michael Greger teaches this, that the DASH diet, D-A-S-H, which is often, you know, rated by the U.S. News and World Report as the number one diet to follow. It's the Mediterranean diet, low salt version. I would argue, go read Dr. Longo's longevity diet and follow that, but maybe skip the two servings of fish a week. I think it's a healthier diet to follow if you're not completely plant-based as I am, and hopefully you are. But, um, you know, the DASH diet was going to be an all plant-based diet, and then there was, uh, you know, influence, and it became a Mediterranean low salt. So there's some politics at play uh, for sure. Um, it's very, very heavy. I just finished reading a book. It's about a year and a half old. It's not exactly the answer to your question, but a book called Sickening, S-I-C-K-E-N-I-N-G by John Abramson, MD. And it was about, and he's a very well-respected Harvard physician uh, on a lot of TV shows and interviews. Uh, not that that defines well-respected. He's just well-respected. That this triad between industry and lobbyists the FDA, which would include food guidelines, and medical journals. The fact that medical journals make a ton of money by being selective in what gets published, and particularly in terms of the pharmaceutical industry, that's part of that triad I think I left out. I didn't mean to leave out the pharmaceutical industry. Um, 
But medical journals publish science that they can then sell the reprints to the pharmaceutical industry. And it seems like a silly thing, but as a doctor, when a pharmaceutical agent, a drug rep, comes to my office and they've got a drug that has science, they're handing me an article. Well, don't think about it. That article just created millions of dollars of revenue for the journal. And the broccoli article doesn't create millions of dollars of revenue. So it's sickening how hard it is to actually get credible data on some of these most important topics for health, like the best diet and the safest drug and the natural treatment. So there's no doubt that's true. And again, your leader and my mentor, Neil Bernard, has published on the egg industry and you know publications that are without egg industry funding and publications that are with egg industry funding. And there's a completely different message based on the source of the article. I have to say, I, I am not an anti-statin cardiologist, and this is more pharmaceutical than food, but I actually got challenged by a patient today by email, find me one randomized study involving a statin like Lipitor that doesn't have um, pharmaceutical industry funding that showed an advantage. So far, I haven't been able to find one. I, I have to say, it's shocking to me. Every single one I look up, and use, when I really go to the funding section, there's a pharmaceutical name there. I mean, I'm going to keep looking because I can't believe out of the hundreds and hundreds, I can't find one, but I haven't yet. And it's not going to be too much different when you look at an article about beef or eggs or dairy. Um, I can tell you something. You want, a, want a, a cute little nutritional thing here about dairy? Bring it on, my man. This is, you know, we're, uh, we're hitting hot buttons here. <laughs> you know. It, if the science is right, it could distress some of your listeners that you can find clinical research that suggests that some studies say dairy reduces heart disease risk. And some other studies say dairy reduces overall risk of disease, like all-cause mortality. Maybe specifically fermented dairy, like kefir and yogurt and uh, some cheeses. And it turns out, I've learned this in the last few months, that there are something called even-chain saturated fats. And there's no doubt the science says, and that's what you're going to find in meat, they raise your cholesterol level. And if your cholesterol level goes up long enough, you might be at more risk of developing clogged arteries and dying of that disease we call atherosclerosis. But there's something called odd-chain saturated fats, C15 and C17. And an incredible veterinarian in the last few years discovered in dolphin research that dolphins, which have great longevity, had even better longevity if their diet was rich in C15 and C17. And turns out C15 particularly uh, is found in dairy. And it may be, this is a little bit speculative, that more than a few studies that suggest um, uh, full-fat dairy has some health benefits, maybe because it's about the only source in the human diet of C15. And it's not very rich in C15. So the problem is, instead of like fish, you may get some nutrients like omega-3, but you get all that saturated fat. And in terms of fish, you may get mercury and PCBs. And in terms of dairy, you may get some C15 saturated fats, but you get the stuff that comes with dairy, including the casein, which may be pro-cancer growth if you read the China syndrome and the rest. So there actually is an interesting supplement out now that's just C15 in a vegan capsule. Uh, and I'm interested in it because there's actually growing science 
Uh, they're claiming that it's the first new essential fatty acid in 90 years since omega-3 fatty acids were identified. And some of us in the vegan health community are pretty big in measuring and teaching our patients. Certainly Dr. Joel Furman is, and uh, usually Dr. Michael Clapper is, uh, that it may not be optimal for your health to ignore your omega-3 fatty acid levels. So we'll have to watch for the data emerging that maybe it's not optimal for your health to not get any C15 fatty acids. So there's a new study for the PCM research group. That is very interesting. C C15. Okay, good to know. I'm going to file that away. Maybe we'll do another show on that as the uh, as the research continues to emerge. Um, let me ask you here, because I think that uh, as we wind down, there's probably somebody who's like, yeah, you guys have not yet talked about complete proteins. And I think that a lot of people still associate eating meat with an automatic complete protein. In your opinion, as a cardiologist, obviously you're well-read in the research and the literature. How does somebody ensure that they are getting an adequate amount of all the different kinds of protein out there so there's not a deficiency and they can make sure that they're getting this optimal health. Yeah, and I think you're asking a really good question because just like, I'm just coming up with an example, the Nobel Prize in Medicine in 1998 was for nitric oxide. And people know about that and people read about it. Where's the test? Where do you go to your family doctor and he tells you, you're doing a great job in nitric oxide. Yeah, we know eating leafy greens and chewing them and not using scope and Listerine and having beets and um, uh, avoiding smoking are all good for nitric oxide. It's hard to test. It is testable. Problem is a little bit, it's hard to test for protein deficiency um, in an average American. You know, every time you go to your family doc for an annual test, they do something called the CMP, Comprehensive Metabolic Profile. It's just in the tubes and it costs probably $8. There is a test there for total protein and globulin and albumin. And boy, is it rare in a healthy outpatient or a seemingly healthy outpatient to see that abnormal. It's really rare. Now, in an ICU setting where you haven't been fed for three weeks because you've got a really serious disorder, you can see a drop and drop not being fed unless you're getting the IV feeding called TPN or you got a tube down your nose. So we do see people come protein deficient when they're acutely sick, but that's fortunately not most people's situation. So it's a little hard to test for. Um, and you pretty much, all of us teach, if you've got adequate calorie intake, 2,000, 2,400 calories a day for an average person, and you're eating those whole grains, or eating those legumes, or eating those fruits, eating those vegetables, you know, hopefully relatively whole and not too processed, but probably even if you're eating some of the processed stuff, you are not going to be protein deficient. It's not described. Your levels of your total protein, albumin and globulin at your family doctor are going to be fine. And, you know, unfortunately, there's no easy test for fiber deficiency. I mean, unless you poop once a week, that might be a pretty good test that you're fiber deficient. So, and, and maybe dehydrated, and maybe you've got some other pathology. Maybe you're taking Ozempic, Wagovi, and Mungero, because those sometimes can make you horribly constipated. And we know a recent publication, Dr. Bernard has pleaded, uh, you can lose weight with whole food plant-based diets and avoid the side effects of uh, those GLP-1 agonists like Wagovi and Ozempic and Mungero and Zepan, because uh, they can bind you up and do other nasty things to your GI tract. So the bottom line is, uh, it's hard to measure, and people don't need to worry, and you don't have to do it right. You don't have to have this exact food for breakfast combined with this exact food. I think we know that 
like beans and rice happen to be a great balanced source of almost all the amino acids and tofu, tempeh, edamame happens to be an almost perfect uh, intake of all the amino acids. But if you're not doing it right, it's still working for you. Um, and if you're going to go to the gym, maybe read a book like The Plant-Based Athlete by Matt Frazier and Robert Cheek. Maybe read a bit, a little bit about Nima Delgado. There's a lot of good sources. But for most of us that aren't training for the Arnold Mr. Universe competition, I mean, we should be worried about too much saturated fat, too little fiber, too much added sugar, too much added processed chemicals and pesticides. That's what we should be worrying about. All right, let me uh, end with kind of a fun question, which will lead us to a big event that you've got coming up with Dr. Jill Furman on March 12th. Um, in your years as a cardiologist, what is the single biggest cardiovascular transformation that you can recall? A patient walks through your doors in really wicked bad shape, maybe arteries clogged for days. A lot of people might even write them off for good. What's the biggest transformation you've seen a return to health? Well, you know, one is I always got to give a shout out to fellow Detroiter and leader of a group called pbnsg.org, plant-based nutrition support group.org, which Dr. Neil Barnard has spoken for many times. And he's, I have a great picture of Paul Chatlin, Neil Barnard, and me together at one of the lectures in Detroit. You know, and Paul in 2013 was a very sick 55-year-old businessman having horrible angina. They were talking about a heart transplant. And um, somebody at the Cleveland Clinic, because Paul drove down and anticipating he was going to get bypass and valve surgery and maybe a transplant, whispered in his ear the day before my best, we've got this guy named Esselstyn. True story. And maybe you want to give him a phone call. And Paul was a contrarian and checked out and called Esselstyn. And Esselstyn said, go home. I'll call you in the next few days. And Paul became the number one Esselstyn diet follower. And I met him a couple months later. He called me. We had a great meeting. And we started up this organization that still has thousands of attendees. And we have an active educational schedule, pbnsg.org. Great, great organization, support group all over the country because it's all by Zoom now. And, you know, it saved Paul's life because, like, he started doing yoga for an hour and weightlifting. And now I talked to him yesterday rides his bike for two hours and he never had the transplant, never had the bypass. And, um, you know, looks at, now at a man in his mid sixties, you know, 10 years younger. And I'd say that gets a shout out extraordinaire. And it's a story that's still going so well. Thank God. Love that. That's such a great story. I will tell you though, I just had a lady, not as dramatic three weeks ago. I mean, does this heart disease reversal work? And she consulted me by telemedicine. I think she lives in California. And um, I got her into the Ornish Intensive Cardiac Rehab Program through her insurance because she was having angina every time she walked, every time, like Michael Greger's grandmother. And when I followed up, I said, how are you doing? She goes, I've only in this program three weeks, changing my diet, managing my stress. She goes, I don't get symptoms anymore. I mean, I can do things around the house I couldn't do three weeks ago. That's how quick this stuff can happen. That's amazing. That's amazing. I love a good story. If anybody who's listened to the show for any length of time will tell you, I love a good story. Both of those, 
phenomenal story. So uh, keep me apprised on uh, on her progress, if you don't mind. Three weeks in, that's that's pretty good. So let's let's see how she's doing. Three months, three years. Like let's just keep that train rolling down the tracks. But let's roll down to March twelfth. Uh, reversing heart disease two You're teaming up with another Joel, Doctor Joel Furman. What do you have cooking up that day? Yeah, I gotta say one of my favorite T-shirts I saw somebody wearing, maybe at a PCM meeting, was like Dean, Essie, Colin, Neil, and two Joels. <laughs> they don't belong on that T-shirt, but they did it just to get a chuckle. Uh, there's a lot of people that uh, could have been on that T-shirt. Um, yeah, last year I teamed up with the amazing Dr. Joel Furman, and we did an online summit for a week free called Reversing Heart Disease Naturally. It was such a smash hit that we're doing it again, and we interview a whole bunch of speakers. A lot are on nutrition. It's all plant-based science, but a lot of other topics from acupuncture to sleep to nutrition, uh, vitamins to uh, energy, medicine. It's got to be science-based. Uh, we talk a lot about science. It's not voodoo. And that'll be March 12th for a week. And it's at a website, drtalks.com, D-R-T-A-L-K-S.com. And I think they have a little button called Upcoming Summits because there's a new one every two weeks. And you'll see, you know, one of the first ones shows up March 12th. It's a fun event. I've been working hard on it. I meet so many interesting people I interview. Uh, some great stuff on plant-based stem cells. Do you know there's plants on this planet that release stem cells from your bone marrow to heal your body? I mean, it's not meat. It's plant-based stem cells. It's certain mushrooms, certain seaweeds and goji berries and... Um, uh, what do they call buckthorn sea berries and actually green blue green algae from Klamath Lake, Oregon? And man, this is science. This sounds too good to be true, but it's real. That is fascinating. Uh, all right, so we're gonna bring you back and talk about that too, man. I feel like we could just talk for days and days. You are a wealth of information. I love the fact that you just say so steeped in the literature and you're up to date on all of this stuff, man. You are a good man, and it has been a real joy to talk to you today, my friend. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, uh, tomorrow, we do this again at four o'clock. Yeah, why not? Why not? <laughs> That'll be a good good thing. Uh, on Instagram, <laughs> at Dr. Jay Khan, there's a link to all of that in the episode notes and in the show description. Dr. Joel Khan, America's Healthy Heart Doc. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, sir. Good work. The Furman and Khan Connection, that is going to be a big old event March 12th. Reversing Heart Disease 2.0. Again, head over to drtalks.com to secure your seat. That is drtalks.com. So good to have Dr. Khan back on the show. It has been way too long, and we're definitely going to have him back on sometime soon. Great guy, tons of fun, obviously super smart. When I said that this show was going to be steeped in nutrition nerdum, I was not shining you on. And I think that this episode was the perfect fit for Heart Health Month. So are you? Are you getting too much protein? Well, that is hard to say, but there is a really, really good chance that you're getting enough protein. And that is plenty. Unless, like Dr. Khan said, you're Nimai Delgado or Robert Cheek, then you need a little bit more. But if you're not a muscle man or a muscle woman, don't worry about it too much. And also today, we talked a little bit about beans. 
And let's not forget, in terms of longevity here, that beans are kings. Dan Buettner from the Blue Zones, he's big on this. You know, he's devoted his career to studying the longest lived regions in the entire world. And every one of the Blue Zones, residents eat about a cup of beans per day. And it looks like they're really onto something here. These people, they tend to live about a decade or longer, more than most. So the diets in these regions, they're also big on nuts and avocados, and nuts particularly another big protein source. And in some regions, also tofu, boom, another protein powerhouse. And pretty much without exception, these regions eat a ton of vegetables too. But beans, beans in particular, good for the heart, but also great for the gut and your blood sugar and your waistline. Beans are a true superfood, better yet, Beans are a power food. And that brings us to the power foods revolution that is going down March 26th at Washington DC's National Press Club. You can join me that evening along with Dr. Neil Barnard, Chef Dustin Harder, and Stephanie Ignafo, an incredibly inspiring weight loss success and founder of Plantspiration. We're all getting together to tape an episode of the podcast and to celebrate the release of Dr. Barnard's new book, the power foods diet and with every ticket comes a copy of the book so it is a win win my friend tickets are on sale right now at pcrm.org events or you can click the link in the episode notes to get your seat today guarantee you this it will be a night filled with laughs and learning and inspiration and you will also learn if nothing else the breakthrough plan that you have been waiting for to trap to tame and to burn calories for easy and permanent weight loss that is the heart of the power foods diet so get your seat today tickets on sale now pcrm.org events or click the link in the episode notes and to whet your appetite for that big night, join us March 6th right here on the show on YouTube, on Facebook, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, and we're going to do a little preview of what's to come. Shawnee Hayes recently on the show. She's going to be with us on the March 6th event along with Dr. Barnard and Dustin and myself. So set that reminder March 6th as we preview the Power Foods Revolution right here on the exam room. And don't forget, Head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is that you get your shows. Like, subscribe, leave a five-star rating, and tell us how this show has helped to raise your health IQ. We might just read your review back here on the show, and I guarantee you every five-star rating, every new subscription helps to make the world a healthier place. I would not joke about something like that, my friend. You truly do have the power to help change the world. And for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to Dr. Joel Kahn for being here and helping to raise our health IQ. And for everyone at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based. Plant-based.